This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. Hi, today I'm joined by Rachel Tomlinson and Rachel is somebody that I've becoming very prolific uh, with her campaigns. So we're going to be talking all things diagnosis. Rachel, thanks ever so much for joining me today. Thank you. And we've just been having a little chat now and I know that there's an awful lot of interesting information that you can share with us. Can you tell us a little bit first just about you and where you're joining us from in the UK um yeah I'm 53 years old um I live in East Yorkshire in a little village um just outside of Beverly okay Um, and you've only recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis haven't you can you just tell us a little bit more about your MS story um, I, was, I was diagnosed in 2018 after quite a few different investigations. Originally, they, the doctors didn't want to refer me to a neurologist, even though I'd had neurological problems previously. And it was actually that they decided that I got chronic fatigue syndrome. So they sent me to the chronic fatigue clinic and it was actually the consultant in the chronic fatigue clinic who said to me um yes i can give you a diagnosis of chronic fatigue but i actually believe there's more to it than that because you've you've got previous history on your nerve at the time he didn't say anything he just said so i suggest you go and see a neurologist Mm. and i went back to the doctors and they didn't they said that i would have to wait six months to see a neurologist i said well that's okay i'll pay to see somebody Mm. And I had a, f- um, a former NHS employee and I have also worked in the private sector. So I was quite familiar with different consultants. So I asked, I went to see a specific consultant who I knew. Mm. And, he, and, and going back now, even at the time, he said, I think we know the, what this is, we'll just, but we'll get an MRI, we'll do an MRI scan all the same. Mm. So and I didn't really think much about it. Other so than what the fact... I- Sorry. What symptom? What were the biggest symptoms then? If you were, you've been sent to the chronic fatigue syndrome, you've gone down that route. Was the fatigue the big it issue the at fatigue. that point? The fatigue was causing it seemed to be causing everything. It was causing me balance problems. It was causing me constant dizziness. I was having problems with my eyesight, and I was also, which I didn't know at the time, I suffered from a lot of spasticity. And I, I've always suffered from that for as long as I can remember, but didn't realise that that's what it was until obviously this came. Every, the diagnosis was finally in. And cognitive, if if I was I was falling asleep, I was I was planning route, planning journeys where I could stop for half an hour to go to sleep. And so yeah, fatigue was a massive enabler yeah. for me. Yeah. Well, enabler for a diagnosis, it's not an enabler for very much else, is it, fatigue? Um, no, but it's, I class it as my, as my symptom enabler, I think. Because yeah. if I'm fatigued, then it brings on speech problems, it brings on dizziness, it brings on balance issues, it brings on tremors. 
So it's the real everything. catalyst, isn't it's it? It's a real catalyst for everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it absolutely is your signal that I need to do something about this now. Yeah, I just, I, when I realise that I'm getting bad with something, my heart rate goes up as well. So if I get really, really fatigued, and I literally just have to crash out where I'm sat. <laughs> yeah, that must have been really worrying, though. If you were sort of planning places where you could stop and have a nap, that must have been really worrying for you at the time. I didn't really think. I just thought it was because I was working a lot of hours because I was working a lot of hours. Yeah. And I was doing quite a lot of travelling as well. But I, there was only one time that I really did nearly come a cropper and I was sat in traffic and I could feel myself going and I had no control over it. Gosh. I couldn't do anything. I had to keep literally, like, I had music blasting out. I had the windows open. I was blowing the blows at myself full pelt. But it, and I, thankfully, the traffic moved sufficiently so that I could get off the road and, and just go and pack up somewhere. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to live with fatigue at all. You know, it's, it isn't. It, and it's something I've experienced and I continue to experience. And you end up changing your life massively to accommodate it and I think all the cognitive issues that come along as well I know you were saying about the impact that it had had on you at work just just so frustrating that's probably the most frustrating part of it for me because I I absolutely loved my job it was it was hard work I was always busy I probably put too much into it I I, I'm too late to have to sort of leave that was just devastating and, and I still probably grieve for it nearly well over a year later. Is it um, a year since you left? I finally left in October 19 um, right. but had gone on sick in October 18. Right. No, so, oh flipping heck I've got my dates wrong. I've gone on sick in October 17 and I 17. left in October, yeah, October 18. So you've been stopped just over, well, like eight, coming up to 18 months, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, that's a massive loss of a career. Oh, it is. It's a career that I'd worked so hard for as well. Yeah. I'd finally yeah. got myself recognised. I'd finally got myself into the role that I wanted to be in. Yeah. And then you were just, then just finding taken away from struggles. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with all these struggles. So coming back it's to your diagnosis. Coming back to your diagnosis and the journey that you went through then. So you'd gone to see this, this neurologist who you knew. And what did they end up saying to you at that point? Well, literally, two weeks later, I had an MRI scan. Two weeks after that, I went back to see him. And I didn't actually see him. I saw one of his registrars yeah. who was absolutely lovely. She did a load of different tests with me. And... One of, my, one of my biggest downfalls, probably, which is I wasn't, I don't think I was as open about the things that were going on with me. I think I was trying to cover it up so that um, I could continue to do the things I wanted to do, basically. So was it you were covering it up because you didn't want to acknowledge it to yourself or because you didn't want to put that information uh, probably out because I've always covered things like that up I've always been the one that's still gone to work when she's the dying duck in the thunderstorm and things like that so yeah I, and, and prior I mean this is a totally different subject I know but prior to that 
I'd had years and years of endometriosis, so I'd always been somebody who'd been suffering You'd always been battling, yeah. Yeah, I'd always had pain and things, and, and if I had to stop... If, if I had to stop on a motorway and tear on and come back because something had happened, then that, I just used to do that. And yeah. I just carried on with it. I just did it. So I think that's probably what I, a lot of that, what I did with a lot of the MS until it actually, you know, until it decided it had had enough and stopped me in my trap by sending and you me just, to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And so do you think that you'd been living with it for longer than you'd admitted to yourself? I'm disappointed that I didn't know that five years previous to that, I had had what they had thought at the time was a TIA. Um, and what's I went a to see a What's neuro- a TIA? Transemic ischemic attack. It's a mini stroke. Right. Because I started with this dizziness and, um, and everything. Well, I, I collapsed at work anyway, and I happened to be in a doctor's surgery when I collapsed. So I was in the right place. And well, I had quite scary. a few collapses. Yeah, I had quite a few collapses over the five years, really, when I think about it. And I was under a urologist for two years, and it, and I had a lumbar puncture at the time, and he said I had a mm. positive lumbar puncture in 2013. But I just didn't think any more of it. And he, I was under him for two years. Yeah. So he'd, um, he'd not actually said the words to you at that point? Never mentioned MS to me. But this positive lumbar puncture positive for ms no he just said it was po- I did, it, and he never actually said positive for ms because if it have said positive for ms then i would yeah. have i would have known he just yeah. said i'd had a positive lump puncture but right. but ms was never mentioned yeah i think that's the that's the hard part for me is that i could have if i'd have known in 2013 then I could have risk assessed it, me, and mm. also, you know, made my employer aware mm. and not put myself, I had saying I want to put myself under as much pressure because I probably would have done. But I was, I was, I can look back now over the years and think of the times that I've sort of gone hell for leather for three or four months, not having holidays and all the rest of it. And then suddenly t- I've gone, put myself out for two weeks with IBS or dizziness or something of the sort. So I, don't, I think it's probably just the sort of person that I am. So I am saying that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done anything different, but I would have known. You'd have, you'd have had a choice. Sense. Yeah, you'd have had yeah. a choice about what you did. Yeah. So what happened at the point when they told you this time then? What happened um, in terms of what they diagnosed you with and the support and things that you had at the time? I didn't feel supported. I must admit, I didn't feel that supported at all. I said that the consultant was diagnosing me with um, benign MS. And I was right. like, what's benign, what's benign MS? And she said, oh, it just means it's not active. Mm. And I didn't really look into it that much. At the, I, didn't, I didn't do much looking about and I hadn't done any looking about before and I hadn't done any research or anything I just sort of thought we'll get on with it and she just said but I think because I'd had this I, I was with the registrar for an hour and she'd asked me loads and loads and loads of questions and I think that was where she'd maybe got out of me the things that I'd not admitted before 
you've got lesions, but we don't believe they're active, which was why mm. she gave me the banana mess. But I think after the, after she talked to me, I think that's when, and she, and I'd said about all these symptoms, which I obviously hadn't admitted to previously. I think that's when he decided that he was going to try me on steroid. And then when I finally went to see the MS nurse and, and told her everything that had happened, she went back to the consultant and that's when the consultant came back and put primary with belief that you've got it's primary progressive. So Rich, if a friend of yours had just been diagnosed with MS, what would you say to them? What words would you use? What advice would you give them? I would just tell them to take some time to digest it. Um, because you need you'll go through so many different emotions you'll go through anger you'll go through fear you'll go through grief you'll go through guilt um, so many and, to, and my, my first point of call the day that I was diagnosed was the MS Society health plan and I rang them yeah and the only thing that I will ever say to anybody who was diagnosed is if you're going to speak if you're going to do any research if you're going to go doing any looking look at the MS Society the MS Trust the mssociety.org in um in the states wherever where about wherever you are in the world look at the trusted sites that's the important thing yeah the last thing i would recommend anybody doing is turning to facebook or social media yeah because there are hundreds there aren't so much in the uk there's an awful lot in america but there's there's a lot of ms groups in the in the uk now and every the first words I will have, I've ever said to anybody is no two people have, are the same. Have it. Mm-hmm. They can have different, everybody's got, can have different symptoms. So the last thing you need is to go on an MS group and say, I've just been diagnosed. What can I expect? Cause you will get a hundred people will answer you and everything will be different and they yeah. will all know the best. And they will, they'll also throw push try to push everything at you change of diet cbd cbd is the cannabis size yeah anything they'll they'll just because i've seen it happen with others that in in, i'm not i am in one ms group but i don't uh, frequent it very often i just sort Mm. of watch what's going on that's all i need to know yeah absolutely spot on so just thinking about that i think we've touched on it already probably in what we were saying earlier um but if somebody is thinking that they might have an ms diagnosis that might be what they are waiting for sort of mris or they might have had a lumbar puncture um and they might be waiting for diagnosis or they might have been really just last few weeks diagnosed and then we've gone into lockdown and everything's kind of ground to a halt is there any sort of words of wisdom that you could give to help those people 
um ms society have a look at the ms society.org.uk there is yeah. so much information on there they're carrying out wellness sessions they're doing um webinars once a week um with different neurologists they're doing time to chat sessions um which you can register to sit and you sit and talk to other ms people with ms on a daily basis for an hour but they they've just been incredible and i cannot recommend them to people enough even if you've not been di even if you've not been diagnosed that is where you need to go there's for, there's a forum as well on the ms society so you can you can join the forum and you can ask questions on there uh, i really won't point anybody anywhere else now no really good advice thank you for that brilliant so thank you so much rachel for everything that you've talked to us about today so and i wish you all the best and hopefully we're going to stay in touch yes i hope so so rachel's got a diagnosis of primary progressive multiple sclerosis at the age of 53 we will be hearing more from rachel in tomorrow's episode thanks so much for listening to today's ms show please subscribe rate and review this podcast and if you'd like to get more involved with the ms show why not join our facebook community just search facebook for the ms show come back soon for another dose of ms information and inspiration you've been listening to the ms show podcast